Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Banton. Along with me on this journey, revisiting 80s movies is my co-host, Jason Massick. Hello, Jason. Bill, don't you understand? That was her special gift. She was relentless. Maddie was the kind of person who could do what was necessary. (laughs) Whatever was necessary. That's right, listeners. Today we'll be discussing the 1981 neo-noir thriller Body Heat, starring William Hurt, Kathleen Turner, and Richard Crenna. Directed by Lawrence Kasdan, this movie is rated R with a running time of one hour and 53 minutes. So what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, you would find this description on the back of the VHS box. It is what's on the box. Take it away, Jason. They called it love. The DA called it murder. Ned Racine is a casual, likable, unambitious lawyer whose life is coasting along in neutral until he meets Maddie Walker. She's a siren in white, a vision of lust, a bolt of heat lightning that charges the landscape. Ned knows that Maddie's the kind of woman a man would kill to be with. So he does. William Hurt and Kathleen Turner strike the sparks of body heat, a sexy, sordid, haunting story that echoes the powerful impact of 40s film noir melodrama like Double Indemnity. And the postman always rings twice, but with energy, irony, and passion that could only flare out of the 80s. Ned and Maddie conspire to kill Maddie's rich husband, Richard Crenna, flee to a tropical paradise and live on his fortune. But they haven't got a chance, and you'll never guess why. Hurt, the exciting star of Altered States, The Big Chill, Kiss of the Spider Woman, his Academy winning role, and Children of a Lesser God, and then newcomer Turner, who has since gone on to hits like Romancing the Stone and Pritzy's Honor, ignite the screen with a feverish intensity. Their flashpoint chemistry is fanned by screenwriter Lawrence Kasdan, making his directorial debut with an insurance that also marks his subsequent movies, The Big Chill and Silverado. The results crackle. Settle back, turn up the air conditioning, and let body generate its wicked warmth. Body. Jason, sometimes you read those. I mean, that was an amazing reading, by the way. (laughs) But sometimes I'll I, rehearsed, I had to rehearse that one. That was, a, that was a long one. Was that like a fold out box or something? Mm-hmm. Holy crap. That was a novel. When I was transcribing it, I, my, my fingers got tired. I had, I had cramps and I was like, I could totally uh, believe that. That would say, you know, yeah, go uh, take a drink, a swig of some Gatorade right now. Get some electrolytes right. back in you. Oh my God. Uh, that was a blast to read. That pretty much sums it up. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill Bant, I cannot wait to talk about Body Heat from the year 1981 with you this evening. This is a classic, man. This is how it's done, in my humble opinion. Are you ready to get into Body Heat? Are you ready to feel the Body Heat? Yeah, I don't think we'll get as steamy as sultry as William Hurt and Kathleen Turner, but we'll, oh we'll try goodness. We'll try our best, okay? So, yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah, so let's move on to our earliest memories of Body Heat. Jason, start us off. Ooh, wow. Uh, I didn't see this movie until I was older. And with good reason, I don't think my parents uh, would have allowed me to see it. I don't believe it was really on repeat on HBO as far as I recall. So 
eventually it was a cable watch for me. And it definitely took me a couple of times to digest the story and all the twists and turns within it. Of course, as a young man, the first watch was a sexual awakening. Oh, Jesus. You got that right. So that took precedence in my mind and body. But upon going back to it, even when I was younger, and I remember that I did appreciate the storytelling eventually, uh, I understood and respected the femme fatale character and all of its noir aspects. Uh, This is a classic film noir movie. Now, Again, not to dwell too much on the sexual aspect of this movie, but the sex, the sensuality, the steam is just a huge element of this film. And that's my real earliest memory. I have other vague images. I have this uh, kind of image of the murder mystery. I mean, I understand that. I remember that, that there, that there was a big twist. But my earliest memory really is just William Hurt and Kathleen Turner getting after it. And it was hot. And I'll just, this will be the last thing I'll say is that I mistakenly remembered what the twist actually was. I thought the twist of this film involved Kathleen Turner's, her character's twin sister. And that is incorrect. (laughs) Oh, there you go. Yeah. But uh, yeah. what, What are your earliest memories of this steamy, sultry classic like, I remember the title, but I didn't really know anything that the movie was about. Right. And so I probably didn't see it. I It was a late night cable watch where at that point, okay, I finally knew who Kathleen Turner was, Lawrence Kasdan was, William Hurt was. So I was like, oh, okay, I like all them. So let me see what this movie is about. But like, you know, I mean, I was in high school when I saw this, late high school. Right. And you're just right. like, exactly. wow, I've never seen Kathleen Turner like this before. Holy moly. I think I was just kind of surprised by it. And the story too, it was a little bit hard to follow that first time this couple that's having an affair and they decide one of them's marrying off the partner and take the money. But it, yeah. And it is an intricate plot though. Yes. On top of that, that is the simple version of it. And I'm glad you said that right from the top. So our listeners understand what this movie is about, but it is, in the true film noir vein, a more intricate plot and hard to follow, like you were saying. Yeah. And um, I mean, we are getting the spoilers in this movie have not seen it before. So um, that's right. Please. If you want to see it, I hate saying stop, stop it, go watch the movie and then come back on and listen to us. But I would, I would definitely recommend it because there is, there is some very complicated stuff that kind of goes on to further the story but it's got a cool ending. It does. It does have a cool ending. How it ends, and I and I did like that. And yeah, I did have to watch it a couple times just to understand what was going on, right? Because you do think it's just a simple murder thriller, and there's a lot more into it than that. And it really does fall into the film noir, which I really didn't know that much about at that point either until went to college, and that you learned about that kind of stuff, and you're like, oh, okay, that's kind of like Body Heat. So. Right. Um, or double indemnity right and that yeah and that's like one of the first ones you they have you watch that's the film school template for film noir yeah Yeah, it's like film noir 101 if you want to know anything about film noir that is the movie you watch first so yeah that's that's my earliest memories it was yeah probably my senior year of high school definitely a late night cable was probably on at like two in the morning and i stayed up to watch it 
I've been a fan of it ever since. It, it's definitely yeah. a, a good film. Uh, you know, it's interesting that you said you, you're like, wow, I see Kathleen Turner in a whole new light now. Because that's how we, when we were growing up, we were so young that there were movies we passed on or passed by us because we were just simply too young to see them. And it wasn't appropriate for us to see them. And then we catch them later. But these actors were in other films that were appropriate for us to see. So we saw them out of order. So you, we knew of Kathleen Turner because we'd seen Romancing the Stone. And then you go back to Body Heat, not thinking as a kid, this is her debut. Yes. This is Kathleen Turner out of the gate. Unbelievable that this is her debut. I think she's about 27. 27, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And talk about nailing it. Uh, and that's not a euphemism. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, in, both, in both senses of the word. <laughs> there's going to probably be a lot of Freudian slips in uh, this podcast. Uh, yes. But, so it's just funny because that's how I felt too. It's like, you know, it's like, oh yeah, man, she was great in this. Not realizing as a kid, oh no, this was her first movie. So I just, I thought that was something to comment on. Exactly, because like the first, movie that i did see her in was romancing the stone sure. and my first movie probably with william hurt was the big chill mm-hmm. and to see them do this kind of film you're like whoa that's definitely different that's a departure that's very right. interesting but it works man it's it's a fun oh yeah. It's a, yeah it's a great film if you haven't seen it this is one you definitely have to check out yeah are you ready to get into some initial thoughts yeah let's get into some initial thoughts absolutely so uh, what a pleasure, man, to be talking about this because this is a film nerds movie, uh, I, in my humble opinion. I just think it's, uh, you know, we talk about the craft and these are the masters at work uh, from top to bottom, T to B. So like Bill said, there will be many spoilers. Uh, we can't talk about this movie without talking about the twist, the reveal and the turn at the end of the movie. So just be aware, please go watch this movie if you haven't. Uh, it's an education in filmmaking. Now, Bill Bant, let, I'm going to start with this. What an incredible trailer. Did you watch the trailer? I saw an international one that was really neat. And then I think I saw the regular one too. Yeah. They don't do it like that anymore. I always say this, my favorite all time, my trailer of all time is for The Shining which is just the low hum and you see the gushing blood coming out of the elevator doors and mm-hmm. like the two, like and that's all you get. It's like, that's it. Like, yeah. Okay. I want to see that movie. I don't need to see two minutes of the entire movie and then go watch the movie just to rewatch those scenes. I've already seen in the trailer. Give me a teaser. A trailer is supposed to be a tease. The trailer for body heat 1981 is wonderful. There is no dialogue. You hear the wind chimes you see images, you know it's an erotic thriller, and the, the it's just really well edited. It's just cut after cut of William Hurt and Kathleen Turner and sensuality and mystery and murder. And again, the wind chimes just keep chiming and chiming and chiming. It's, very, it's almost creepy and eerie on top of it all, which is part of this the darkness of the film noir aspect. And then you get the letters of the title popping in and you hear that searing 
like sizzling, like with the B-O-D-Y-H-E-A-T. It's just a great trailer. Recommend it. Check it out on YouTube. So watching it now, today, we get the classic credits, the classic credit sequence. We have John Barry doing his wonderful, sexy, slow jazz score, and it's all just the credits. We sit through the credits. It's how they used to do it. And there it is right on this, the big screen, written and directed by Lawrence Kasdan, one of my heroes, not only because he worked on The Empire Strikes Back, my favorite film of all time, but it's just a good, always good to see his name on there because he's just behind so many quality projects. And Bill Bant, there's bodies glistening everywhere from the very start. I mean, we just get a sense of place. Uh, this is a small town of Miranda Beach. This is in Florida. Where, you know, I love movies that I always bring up the sense of place, but this is a sense of temperature, a sense of feeling the heat, the uncomfortable humidity. Then, you know, you can almost feel the relief from the cool, whether it be a semi broke down like air conditioner or sitting in a, a bathtub full of uh, ice cubes in the water. Uh, there's fog coming off the lake, the river. Right now, I'm actually wearing an extra layer just to feel the heat for this podcast because I'm a method podcaster. Uh, I like the feeling to get in the sense of place. like, And that's part of it. There's the tactile nature about establishing the atmosphere in a literal sense, in this case, the heat. And you're like, that's it's a, almost a character unto itself. The heat is an emotional catalyst. It drives some of the emotion and the feeling. You can't help but feel it. That's a huge initial thought for me. Uh, you can't escape it. Everybody's sweating in, in this movie or glistening in some way. Bill Bant, should we bring mustaches back? I think some are yeah. already, but you get some sports figures and celebrities, you know, pulling it off. Not every, every man can pull it off. I'm not one of them. That's for sure. William Hurt pulls it off. Yes, he does. So... Yeah, lots of smoking in this movie. That's oh. <laughs> smoking everywhere. Yep. Immediately when we see one of the opening scenes is in a, in a just a sweaty diner and with the, the broken air conditioning, and they're just all sweating. And you got William Hurt smoking a cigarette over his plate of food. It's great stuff. <laughs> it's just like, welcome to the early 80s, ladies and gentlemen. Man, not only is this Kathleen Turner's debut, she plays the one of the lead characters, co-lead characters named Maddie Walker, her entrance in this killer white blouse and skirt combo. What an entrance. She is gorgeous in this. We have such a classic opening scene between Hurt and Turner with that very classical noir dialogue. Kathleen Turner's signature sultry, slightly smoky, husky voice. Yes. Very Lauren Bacall-esque. Part of the reason why she got the role, et cetera, that's, you know, you can do the research. Uh, unmistakable Kathleen Turner, her look, but uh, also very much her voice. Yeah, the dialogue. I mean, there's such a rhythm, a cadence of the dialogue that is specific to this genre. It has such a classic, older romantic style. You can almost hear other actors like uh, Fred McMurray or uh, Humphrey Bogart reading these lines. Like you can hear it in your head. It's just that type of dialogue. I love the dramatic camera moves, uh, the zooms. There's the, the sensual yet slightly foreboding music the entire time. I mentioned that that jazzy music by John Barry. Gosh, uh, I absolutely love a long con in a movie. 
you know, there's something about this, too. you know, I appreciate this film on so many different levels, but on, you know, the surface, I'm just going to mention again, the sexuality, because the way it's handled in this movie, here's an initial thought, Bill Bant, there's forwardness and aggressiveness in the dialogue, which is very typical of film noir dialogue in itself. But this movie is actually quite passionate. There is brief nudity, but it's still done with some style and seduction. You see enough to want more, but if you did see more, it would be too much. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's not gratuitous. It's not. It's part of the story. Cause once you see what the ending's all about, then you're kind of like, man, she went through all this for this crazy. Yeah. 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 Like you said, it's a long con and it all makes sense. Here's my big last initial thought is that of course, one of the best things about a movie like this is, and and the sign that it is a good noir is that you want to go back and see how the game was played. We talked about the intricate plot. It takes a rewatch. You've got to go back. You got to rewind scenes. You got to try to figure this out. And it's fun putting together the clues and all of the signs and, and going, oh, it was here all along. All the pieces were there for you to put together. And you want to know, was anything she did honest or was anything she said actually true? Was every single step calculated by Maddie Walker in this movie? You want to go back, watch it again, see all the plays she makes, the twists and turns, her performance, William Hurt's performance. And then you go back and watch it and you're like, yeah, like I said, you know, for example, here's one small example, initial thought. Maddie is pulling the sheets off the bed after a, a sexual uh, encounter with Ned Racine. Our two leads are Kathleen Turner plays Maddie Walker. William Hurt is playing the role of Ned Racine, who is a lawyer. And they, she's taking the sheets off the bed she doesn't, because she doesn't want the maid to know that they've had uh, this affair here, especially on this bed, because she's a married woman. Maddie says to Ned, my mother told me knowledge is power. And Ned Racine's sarcastic kind of replies, well, that's an interesting interpretation. Is that why I've started smoking my brand? Not knowing that it's all part of himself actually being set up by her. It's little pieces of dialogue like that because she uses the, the cigarettes actually do come into play later. Not It's not a major element. That's not like a MacGuffin of any kind. But it's just subtle things like that where you're like, oh, that's why they put that line in there, because she will use that to her advantage later on. And for our listeners out there, I was just going to, if you'll indulge me here for a moment, Bill Bant, list uh, some of the elements of film noir. Noir is actually the French word for black. So think of black film. There is a darkness to the film noir genre. Uh, Some of the classic elements of film noir are the antihero protagonist, the femme fatale, taught no-nonsense dialogue, high contrast mise-en-scene, cynical attitudes, use of shadows, and fatalistic overtones. For those of you not familiar with the film noir genre, there are some of the aspects. How about some initial thoughts from you, Bill Bant? Okay. Uh, Yeah. So the first thing I want to talk about is um, the reason that we chose to do this movie. um, This wasn't initially in our list, uh, but unfortunately, uh, last month, William Hurt, who played Denver Scene, passed away at the age of 71. And this seems to be a theme this season. I mean, this is the third time we're doing a movie based on, unfortunately, a actor or director that we admired during this time period who has passed away. So just a little bit about William Hurt. He made his film debut in the 1980 science fiction movie Altered States. He then went on to receive three consecutive nominations for the Academy Award for Best Actor. 
uh, for Kiss of the Spider Woman in 1985, Children of Lesser God in 1986, and Broadcast News in 1987. Um, he did win the Oscar for Kiss of the Spider Woman. Hurt would become part of the Marvel Universe by portraying General Thaddeus Ross in the 2008 film The Incredible Hulk. Hurt would reprise his role in four additional Marvel movies, Captain America, Civil War, Avengers Affinity War, Avengers Endgame, and most recently, Black Widow. Even though Hurt did have a fantastic movie career, there um, unfortunately was some allegations of domestic abuse from former wives and girlfriends. Nothing came of those allegations, but it's certainly a black mark on him. But I'm certainly a fan of his work and uh, certainly enjoy his work, uh, especially throughout the 80s. I mean, just lists those movies right there. Um, and he's, he did other three other collaborations with uh, Lawrence Kasdan besides this that you should definitely check out. He was definitely one of our great actors of the 80s. And uh, he was certainly missing. Um, I always appreciated his work and, and everything that he had done on the screen. Well done. Well done, Bill Bent. Well said. Thank you for that. That's great. Every time, I don't know how many times I've seen this movie. I've seen this movie at least 10 times. Every time I see Ted Danson, I'm always <laughs> shocked. I always forget he's in this movie because you're so focused on the Kathleen Turner, William Hurt, and Richard Crana roles. You kind of forget everybody else that's in this movie. So when you see Ted Danson show up in the beginning, and it's so weird because you're so used to his Sam Malone hair. Absolutely. Like that color. And in this movie, it's so much darker. Yeah. It gets me every time. Yeah. It's almost off-putting at, at first because yeah. you're you're just so used to Sam. It, yeah, no question about it. I mean, it's the same kind of style. It's just a, more like black almost. It's it is. It's dark. darker. It's extremely thick. I, it almost looks like a giant hairpiece at first. There's a lot of discussion over the years. If you want to research on Ted Danson's hair, uh, it's interesting. But he still looks great. But it's almost as if he did this transformation. Obviously, Cheers is after this yeah it's only it's only like a year after that he got the show so but it was one of those reverse things that we were talking about earlier right i mean we i was exposed to cheers before seeing this movie exactly you know you know he just looks different in this movie you know it's him but it doesn't feel right yeah although i i missed that in my initial because i couldn't agree with you more i think he's really fun in this and I love the, all the little traits that they give his character. I think it's great writing, actually. They give him this like flamboyant flair and the dancing that he does throughout the movie. He's yeah. always ordering two iced teas. Great yeah, character. Literally traits. pulling out the lemon with his hands all the time, too. I'm like, oh, that's grossing me out. Scoop it out with your spoon, man. But yeah, <laughs> just watching this, you were, it's like, oh, man, he definitely would have, I think he would have done well. I mean, he did do some movies, but I think he would have had a pretty good career in films. But I mean, hey, you have Cheers. I mean, you can't knock that. But it always gets me every time. I'm like, oh, my God, that's right. Ten Danson's in this. So that is a fun surprise. 100%. Well, well, I'm glad you commented on that. Because the other thing is we have William Hurt in the lead, who's a tall, handsome man. Then you have Ted Danson, who we know as Sam. But now going back to the movie, he's a little bit offbeat in this movie. Yes. He's a tall man. He's got to be like six, four at least if not. And he's a tall, handsome guy, but they make him a little offbeat in this almost slightly nerdy in moments. Yeah. It is definitely the anti Sam alone character. Yeah. It's interesting that they chose him. They cast him in that role and put mate and made him up to this way. And he's great. There is a part where he teases Ned about who Ned's sleeping with. 
And he's like, yeah, I, I live vicariously through you. And I'm like, well, that'll all change. Right. Um, exactly. <laughs> yeah, when you take this job in Boston. So not to worry. That's always a surprise. That gets me every time. And um, I mean, you already touched on the film noir. And like I said, they, they totally changed the name from film noir to neo-noir, mm, which is kind yeah. of a movies that had the film noir influence. And yeah, this is, this is, this, they say this is the quintessential one. And then other movies, um, Black Widow, not the one. Not the Natasha Romanoff, not the uh, Scarlett Johansson vehicle. No, that's the uh, Deborah Winger, Teresa Russell one. Consider Blade Runner, Body Double, Blow Up, Against All Odds, Eight Million Ways to Die, Frantic, Sea of Love. So you kind of see the modern version of film noir uh, with the neo-noir. And um, this definitely uh, fits the mold. It was just kind of cool. I always love watching films that take place in places that I've lived. So it was always cool seeing stuff in Florida and trying to figure out, oh, have I been there? Do I know exactly right. where that is? Where is that? Have I been there? Do I know when I saw it, I was like, wow, the Hollywood bowl used to be a lot smaller. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit different one. But yeah, that was just uh, some of the uh, quick things I just thought about watching this movie. And just, just like I said, just the shock of just knowing like, oh, wow, this is Kathleen Turner's first role. And she knocked it out of the park. And the whole time I was thinking too, I was like, God, she reminds me so much of Lauren Bacall. And then when you're doing the research afterwards and everything, it's like, oh yeah, like Lauren Bacall. Like she was like Lauren Bacall. Lawrence Caston was looking for someone like Lauren Bacall. Ding, got it right. Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. Good, yeah, good stuff, man. Did you have more initial thoughts? No, that was it. I briefly was going to mention too that we, we keep talking about film noir, neo-noir, but this is also an erotic thriller. You can put it in that genre as well. Oh, yes. Uh, it is a combo package. So we will probably talk about some other films in that genre as well later. So let's move on to, uh, yes, favorite scenes or moments. What are some of our favorite scenes and moments from Body Heat? Well, I will start with the scene at the beginning, which I am simply calling Ned Meets Maddie. It's the meat cute. Yes, it's the meat sexy. So that's we were just breaking it down. The the bowl. This is Miranda Beach, and it's hot. It's night, and Ned Racine, our protagonist, our kind of lower tier lawyer, I guess. You know, he's a ladies' man. Uh, we know he's not making a great deal of money. Uh, he's a handsome man. He makes ends meet, but. Kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel a little bit with his clients and maybe the ladies as well. I don't yeah. know. Uh, so almost pseudo ambulance chaser kind of. Yeah, so thank kind of you. Learned. Yes, yeah. exactly. So that's established already at this point. He's walking along the boulevard basically here at night. The concert is in the background. Someone gets up from the crowd that's watching the show, and this is unmistakably Kathleen Turner as Matty Walker. She's wearing the white blouse and skirt and looking extremely good, uh, uh, sexy. Man, The I am going to go blue here for a moment, so put on your earmuffs. The dialogue is fucking perfection. Uh, this is classic. I don't care if you want to call it neo-noir or film noir. Uh, it's sexy. It's playful. It's flirty. It's smooth. It's forward. It's obvious. It's clever. It's sharp. I want to talk like this, Bill Bant. I love this initial meet between Ned and Maddie. It just crackles, like I said, in the what's on the box segment. So I'm going to read a little bit of this dialogue so you get an idea of what 
this style is, which I was talking about earlier, this is, I'm going to start by saying Racine, Ned Racine's lines, and then Matt and Maddie's line, and then back and forth, you'll get an idea. I'm going to go quickly, but you just get an, a, a sense of the back, uh, back and forth here. You can stand here with me if you want, but you'll have to agree not to talk about the heat. I'm a married woman. Meaning what? Meaning I'm not looking for company. Then you should have said, I'm a happily married woman. That's my business. What? How happy I am. And how happy is that? You're not too smart, are you? I like that in a man. What else you like? Ugly, lazy, horny? I got them all. You don't look lazy. Tell me, does chat like that work with most women? Some, if they haven't been around much. I wondered, thought maybe I was out of touch. How about I buy you a drink? I told you, I've got a husband. I'll buy him one too. He's out of town. My favorite kind. There you go. That's it. That is it. It's great. <laughs> now, I mean, it's just like, boy, you know, he's got all the lines. She's got all the comebacks. She's got lines. He comes right back. They are on fire from the get-go. And then it's followed by uh, cherry snow cones, which she spills on her blouse. And <laughs> Ned Racine says, oh, I'll, you know, I'll clean that up right away. I'll even, uh, even wipe it off for you. And she says, you don't want to lick it? Oh my God. And that's when I melt, you know, literally so hot. Well done, Mr. Kasdan. Well done. So that's my first favorite scene. How about you, Bill Ben? All right. So yeah, I'm just going to go forward just a little bit and it's to uh, go see the wind chimes. So after this yeah. initial counter between the two of them, now Ned just, he has to find her again and has to see her again. And it's basically just searching for her. And he ends up in this uh, little dinky bar where there she is at one side of the bar counter, sitting by herself, smoking a cigarette, surprise, surprise. And he plops down next to her and here he goes, part round two. He's going to try to put the, the moves on her. And it's a great start because he notices that all the other guys are on the other right. side of the bar and they're, and they're looking at him. He's like, why is everybody giving me the look? And she's like, well, you're the first guy that's actually been able to sit in that seat next to me. So basically saying that she comes here a lot. So you know, he compliments her on her outfit. She's like, hey, I'm just wearing a blouse and a skirt and basically just says, well, you just have an amazing body. You know, there's a little more back and forth. And she's talking about how she has these wind chimes in her house. And at night, in the middle of the night, when it's so hot, she hears the chimes and she decides to go out on the balcony thinking that means there's a cool breeze, but there's not. So she invites him back to the house. She's like, well, we need to not leave at the same time. Because if we leave at the same time, all these people know I'm married and it's going to look bad. And he's like, well, how are we going to do that? And she just cold cocks him right across the just yeah. slap. Well, I guess we could say now she uh, Will Smith him. I guess yeah. that'll be a, a new yes. terminology. So might as well just use it now. So, yeah. Yes, so, she, That's yep. great. Yep. Yeah. so she Will Smith him and she runs off and sits somewhere out at the booth. And then it cuts to you can see Ned in the car following Maddie to the house. And they get to the house and she's playing him a little bit. You know what? I don't think you should really come in. Well, you can come in, but you can look at the chimes and then you got to leave. So they go upstairs to the balcony and they look at the ch- and there's like hundreds of them and they're all over the place. He just goes over and he's just trying to play with them and having them make noise. And she's like, all right, you got to go. And you could just see it's like, wait, I, I drove all out here and I'm literally just seeing the chimes and I'm leaving. She's like, yeah, I, you know, she's like, I can't do this. So she walks him out the door and you're like, wow, that's it. And right before she goes in, she gives him a kiss and then closes the door and locks it. 
And now Ned, he's on fire and he's like, no way. This is not how it's ending. And he almost kind of walks around the house and you can see Maddie in there just staring at him, kind of wanting him to come in, but she's Mm -hmm. not going to let him in. And then he eventually goes over to like these French doors that he sees and picks up a chair and just literally throws it through the doors. Yeah, the glass doors. Yeah. And you could see she's all excited. She's like, oh, okay, here we go. He walks in and then they just go at it. Just lust, lust, lust. And it's definitely a very sensual scene at that point. And this pretty much is the kickoff of the the steamy affair that they're going to have for the next act of the film. Knowing what you know now, she's got him hook, line, and sinker at this point. She's played him well. Awesome. That was my next favorite scene. This scene is a huge turn on for me. It is hot, hot, hot. It is as passionate and sexy as it gets. And it's the the cat and mouse. I mean, it's the push and pull. It's what were you going to say, Bill? No, I was just going to say, because, you know, we mentioned there is a lot of nudity in this film. It's not in this scene. No, this is definitely one of the hotter scenes in the in the movie. I would, in my humble opinion, I think it is the hottest scene, actually, because you're waiting for it to happen. There's so much sexual tension in this scene. It is, I mean, you could cut it with a knife, with a butter knife. It's insane. It's really intense. She is panting and he's getting close to her, but she knows she shouldn't. And she plays coy and she says, I shouldn't have let you come. And he says to her, you're not so tough after all, are you? And she says, no, I'm weak. And then she kisses him as if yes. she gives in for a moment. But then she goes inside and closes the door behind her. And there's this wonderful moment. You mentioned when he's now completely frustrated. Yeah, he's like almost like a lion on the prowl. Oh, he's the way he paces. Well, so he's the house, ready yeah. to pounce, but now he can't. So he's like, really? So when he walks back around his car and he starts and he just looks at the house and she's just waiting for him inside. He has this look of determination on his face that is wonderful. And then there's a wonderful camera move that starts. This is a nowhere style uh, cinematography technique where the camera starts high and it comes down in onto his face. And it's this sweeping, swooping motion. And it just brings you right into him. And he, like you said perfectly, Bill, He is a lion and he is about to pounce. He's about to attack. He goes right to the house. We see her inside. She's panting. She's wanting him desperately, but she's not going to go to him. She's not going to say it's okay. She's going to make him work for it. And he goes from door to door. They're all locked. And then, like you said, breaks open the French doors, which is super hot. And she's like, oh, damn, this is the one. This is the guy. This is what I'm looking for. Everything from beginning to end is just so tense from the chimes to the, and you're just like, are they going to do it? Are they not going to do it? And it's like, oh yeah, they're going to do it big time. One of multiple times. Right. (laughs) You know, there's so many great scenes in this, but I was surprised by this. And this is going to be my third favorite scene. Uh, I'll try to be brief about some other scenes and moments, but this is my third favorite scene, Bill Bant. And it's the brief scene with Mickey Rourke. That's my third favorite scene. I've rewatched it several times. The first time they the meet? first scene. Okay, yeah. go ahead. There's something about it. A very young Mickey Rourke, one of his early film appearances as the character Teddy Lewis, who we uh, actually don't know anything about. 
but it's understood. And this is also good writing. We don't have, we don't need exposition. Don't, we don't need an exposition dump here. We don't need to be bogged down in that. We just get the sense of who William Hurt's character is as this lawyer is like an ambulance chaser. And he probably has dealt with uh, some seedy characters that he's gotten off or gotten out of jail. And Teddy Lewis, AKA Mickey Rourke is one of those characters. So at this part of the film, William Hurt has made an agreement with Maddie Walker, whom he's having an affair with, that they are going to together formulate this plan to kill her husband. And so that she gets all of her husband's money and then they're going to go live happily ever after. And so it's a dark scenario, but these characters are intriguing. They're extremely flawed and we're still following them. But William Hurt's plan is to set fire to one of the husband's properties on the beach called the Breakers. Uh, so he's going to perform an act of arson. So who does he go for tips on how to perform this arson, arson act? He goes to one of these guys that he defended and got off and was able to free and put back on the street. And his name's Teddy Lewis. And we get this young Mickey Rourke and it's a twist on it because it's not just the seedy guy going, this is, hey, man, this is how you do it. You just, I, I got the bomb right here that it's got a timer the you ignite it this way or whatever, and it'll blow up. And I got it. In, but he is almost like this. I, He's almost playing a parent. Yeah. It's so, oh, I just, this is why I love this movie. That's just so well done. And Mickey Rourke is excellent in this, in my humble opinion. First of all, Mickey Rourke has a killer look, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's got the look. He looks like a greaser, biker type tough guy. But then there's something in his voice and his eyes that portray uh, an almost innocence and sweetness about him that you just wouldn't expect. And you just fall in love with him. He just has a natural charm about him. And he is just natural in this scene. So he's telling Ned Racine, William Hurt, how to do this arson. and he's warning him. He's actually telling him not to do it. That in the meantime, you have this wonderful song in the background. I'm a big Bob Seger fan. I highly recommend Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band's greatest hits, by the way. But this is a Feel Like a Number by Bob Seger's playing in the background. And we get Teddy Lewis kind of singing to it. And then he's telling William Hurt, here you go. This is it. This is going to cause a stir, though. They're going to find this thing. And William Hurt's like, I, I don't care if they find the pieces of the bomb they're setting off, this firebomb, basically. Yeah. Teddy says to him, hey, look, asshole, are you listening to me? Because I actually like you. You put me, you freed me. You put me on the street. So I care about you. So here's the deal. And there's a great line here. He says, anytime you try a decent crime, you've got 50 ways you can fuck up. If you think of 25 of them, then you're a genius and you ain't no genius. Love that line. And at the very end of the scene, and this is why I love Mickey Rourke, is that he actually says to him, he goes, look, you shouldn't do this. That's my, my advice is don't do this because arson is a serious crime. And instead of on that line, arson is a serious crime, like really putting the weight on that, he does this thing where he kind of like sniffs and rubs his face and then he turns the music back up and then gives the serious look back to William Hurt. And I'm like, oh, great acting moment. He didn't choose to overplay the actual last line of his small role. I, I thought it was a smart choice by Mickey Rourke. 
Great scene. And then here's a question for you. I feel like watching him, a young Mickey Rourke, that Michael Madsen and Ryan Gosling have taken a lot from him. If you think oh, about yeah. it. Yeah, that's good. I agree with that. There's, I mean, there's a lot, there's like mannerisms. There's like, yes. like, like the way he, he speaks and the touching his face kind of like, and it, it's like, Oh my God. I, I know. The tone of his voice. Ryan Gosling has that same tone and delivery. If people could see you right now, what you're doing, I was like, Oh yeah. It's all three of them right there. Right. <laughs> I love that scene. But you were saying like, what does it remind you? It's almost like a friend cashing in a favor and it's a favor you don't want to cash in, even though you know you have to do it because you owe the person a favor. Mm-hmm. Because at one point he actually says like, I will do it for you. Don't do this. Yeah. He says, I'll do it. That's, gratis. Right. Free. That's how much he knows this is trouble. It's bad news. It's a bad idea. When he warns them, like, okay, you set this off, they're going to know what it is. And he doesn't care. So he knows, like, oh, this is this is bad, bad news. Because usually when you set arson, you don't want it to know that it's arson. But the fact that you're like, I don't care that they find that the device. So you got to know in the back of your mind, like, what the hell is he doing that he wants this? And he doesn't care if it gets discovered. That's mm-hmm. not good at all. That's not good at all. But, yeah, he knows he's not going to be able to talk him out of it. And he owes him the favor. So cash it in. You were touching, I think, on it a little bit there, too, is the fact that Teddy Lewis is a criminal. He knows how to do this. Like, this is what part of his lifestyle. But William Hurt is not. He is not a criminal. He's maybe a seedy lawyer, but he doesn't have any practice at being a criminal. He has no experience. Teddy Lewis, on the other hand, that's why he's kind of saying to him, he's like, you don't know what the fuck you're doing, man. Look, I'm telling you, this is a bad idea. And you're being all nonchalant about it isn't helping. This is serious. I know. <laughs> you know, he takes right. time for shit like that. And the thing is, too, is in a way it does. I think Teddy knows it's going to get him in trouble because everyone has their signature. So if this bomb goes off and this building burns down and they find these pieces, you know, he knows he's going to be a suspect for it because that's his M.O. Mm-hmm. When you do see Teddy later in the movie, he doesn't retain uh, Ned as his lawyer. He gets someone else. Yeah. So that just kind of shows like, okay, I I paid my debt to you. Now, because of my debt to you, I'm in a little bit of trouble. I'm going to step away. I'm going to tell you this last thing, and then we're done. We're done. Right. I also took that as that he doesn't want Ned to be his lawyer because he knows Ned, it's going to come to bite Ned in the ass too. And if he's connected to Ned, it's going to be bad for him as well. Yeah. I can't put the dots too close to each other. Right. And now we got to go our separate ways. I got a different lawyer. Good stuff. Mickey Rourke's great in this. Small part. He's great. Mm -hmm. I got a bunch of other stuff. Go ahead with your next scene though, man. Well, this I'm just doing a moment here, and it's funny. You touched on this earlier about the smoking, because this just kind of made me laugh. So the murder has happened, and Ned and Maddie have this discussion where Maddie's kind of upset that in the will that she's only going to get half. So at first she asks Ned to rewrite the will so she can get all of it. And Ned's like, no, we can't do that, because if something like that happens right before we're going to commit this crime, then the finger's going to be pointing at us right but sure enough she decides to do it on her own and forwards Ned's signature and turns it in and of course there's something wrong with the will so they have mm-hmm. to have this meeting oh i know what you're gonna say yeah it's a great moment okay go ahead go ahead so it's ned maddie maddie's I guess, sister-in-law or 
Yes, yes, it is. It's uh, yes, her uh, sister-in-law. Right, is correct. Roz, and then Roz um, Kraft, Edmund's lawyer, and Ted Danson is in there also. And like right before they're about to start, they're like, "Oh, is it okay if we smoke?" And of course, all of them pull out a cigarette, and then they, of course they ask uh, Ted Danson's character, Lowenstein, Lowenstein, if he wants a cigarette, and he's like, "No, it's okay. I'll just breathe all of your air." And it shows the passes of time, and then this room is just it's it, a haze. There's so much smoking going on. You're just and I just laugh because I'm like, you would not see that today. That's not something that would happen today. That you would be in an office and everybody would be smoking like chimneys. It just made me laugh because I'm like, oh my god, this is such a product of the '80s. But it is an important part of the like. It's one of those scenes of the film at that time I did not understand mm-hmm. because there's something that that Maddie purposely did wrong with the will in order to make it null and void. Hence now she gets she the full inheritance. Right. But there's some kind of jargon in there of what they do with the will to make it's it a technicality. Yeah. yeah. It's an important part, but at the same time, it just made me laugh. Cause it was just like, Oh my God, all these chimney smokers in there. And then poor uh, Lowenstein will be the one with the freaking lung cancer from all the secondhand smoke. That's a hilarious moment when Lowenstein says, I don't need a cigarette. I'll just breathe your air. That's a great moment. You brought up a couple of things that I wanted to touch on because it's a, it's a fun scene. And it is one of the scenes where we realize Maddie's manipulation and how deep it goes. We're starting to get a sense at this point of she is the puppet master. It's like, oh, wow, just one thing after another. And what has she done and how is ned dealing with it which is interesting how william hurt kind of plays it because he can't just go she's setting me up <laughs> you know right. it's like <laughs> you know he's he's between a rock and a hard place again no pun intended here um, there's more euphemisms here to be yeah made. he literally has but to play along like, he has to and then maybe he'll take a sidebar with her at some point to invoke some lawyer speak there to say, uh, hey, Maddie, what the hell's going on? But there's so much, not only manipulation on her behalf, but emotional manipulation from her. He, and you had talked about how she was, went to, she specifically chose Ned because he is a lawyer and he can fix the will so that she gets all the money. But he says, no, we can't do anything that would be out of the ordinary. Like you said, and literally, William Hurt is trying to do everything right. Yeah, because there is a great moment when they're when she shows up in his office and he says, "We're, I'm, you know, I'm going to kill your husband, and he's not deserving to being killed, but we're deciding to do this." It's pretty cool. It's that's I have that. I oh, have, do you that. have okay. it's not one of my. It's not a big enough scene to be one of my big favorite scenes, but I, I put just it the, because, just those lines. Yeah, but we'll touch upon it because that is a wonderful. This is why I get invested in these characters. The dialogue's great. It is an important scene because it is the moment where it is solidified. They make the, not only, it's not they actually, it is technically it's they decide to murder her husband, but she has actually manipulated him emotionally where he is the one that that is, does it all, is saying it, we're going to kill him. I'm going to do this. She got him to that point. And it's just so smart. And now he says, we're going to do it. And like you said, he's being so honest about it. He's not a cold blooded murderer in the way of like, we, we it's, this is again, a film noir thing where it's this muddled gray area. He's not this, uh, a killer. 
he just is so in love with her. And so he's obsessed. He's completely obsessed with her. will do anything to be with her. And he knows the only way to do this is to kill the husband. And that's why he says, this isn't, there's, he doesn't deserve it. This isn't right, but it's what we need to do to be together. And that's all there is, you know, and I love that moment. And then again, wonderful camera move, very classic where it pulls back and up. It's the actual reverse of that shot I was talking about earlier, where the camera swoops down and comes in on William Hurt's face, his look of determination. Then this particular scene, it pulls back and you just get like the overwhelming sense of like a holy shit moment. This, that was it. They just decided they're going to kill the husband. Break some laws. But the emotional manipulation that happens throughout is because he has a conscience. He's trying to do this right. And he's actually trying to dot the I's and cross the T's and be smart about this. But despite her manipulations, he's still in love with her. He's at her whim. Like he can't do anything about it. And he just keeps making bad move after bad move because she's got him by the balls, literally. It's great stuff. Yeah, great moment. This is like, there's just little crumbs throughout this. That's just brilliant writing. It's just a great setup. The dinner scene between Ned Racine, Maddie Walker, and her husband, Edmund Walker. Edmund and Maddie run into Ned at the restaurant. It seems to be accidental. They all sit down to dinner together. Awkward. Yes. Long story short, she gets up to go to the bathroom. Edmund's having conversation mano a mano with uh, William Hurt and Uh, is talking about this other guy that just didn't have what it takes. And he says the line, this guy, you know, he wanted to make a business deal, but he wasn't willing to do what's necessary, whatever's necessary. And when he says that line to William Hurt, William Hurt's like, oh yeah, I'm that guy. I'm not willing to do what's necessary, basically. And that comes into play at the very end, which is the quote I said at the opening of the podcast, because then actually it's Maddie walker who does what's necessary yes so great writing because that stuff you got to see the movie guys it'll make more sense when you see it (laughs) what i was just talking about oh yeah too we were just talking i forgot to mention this in that scene we were just talking about when they decide to kill him they talk about the phones when william hurt says you have to be very careful about the phone the phone company keeps records again planting the seed she uses that against him yep i love this moment there's only a handful of people in this movie, but between uh, Ted Danson as uh, Lowenstein, mm-hmm. the prosecutor, the DA prosecutor, we have, then we have a detective. We've got detective Oscar Grace, who they just call Oscar for the most part in this movie, who's wonderful. Oscar and Lowenstein both very much like Ned Racine. They love William Hurt. They're all buds, which yeah. is great. Buds together. Yeah. And Oscar, the detective, is a smart detective, is knowing that, well, Ned's gotten a little too deep with this wife. And it's not looking good, the fact that he's helped her with this will, and that's gone sideways. And now it's out in the open. They're not hiding the fact that they're having sex together after she's just recently, within days, been widowed. And Ned's sleeping with her. And it's out in the open. And Oscar's like, what are you doing, man? Well... He has Ned come into the police precinct and Ned, uh, I'm sorry, Oscar and Lowenstein are there and they're like, what are you doing, man? Don't mess with her. She's bad news. Oh, and by the way, we have the sister-in-law coming in with uh, 
Maddie's niece, because supposedly the niece witnessed uh, Maddie having an affair with somebody on a balcony. There was some oral genital contact of some kind, and maybe she can tell us a little more about that. And we as an audience know that the niece happened to be sleeping over at Maddie's house and saw William Hurt with Kathleen Turner. So she's a witness. And I love this moment where Ned, William Hurt, goes, is instead of dodging that, freaking out, going, oh my God, the niece is here. She's in the precinct. She's going to see me. She's going to know it's me. He actually goes right for it. He goes right up to the sister-in-law and the niece who are waiting in the lobby. And he, I just think it's a great moment. And there's a great- I have that down too. Okay, because- Because Oscar's baiting him. Yeah. Because he he set it up that the niece is going to show up while he has Ned there in the office. Mm-hmm. And he tells, he kind of just throws it out there. Oh, yeah, by the way, you know, the niece kind of saw who this guy was. We're going to bring her in for questioning. You know, why don't you go out the side door so you don't have to see her? And Ned's like, no, I'll go out the front. There's no reason for me to go out the side here. And just literally goes out the front office, walks up to her sees the mom and says hey sorry for your loss i'm very sorry and then kneels down and talks to the girl right one-on-one face to face and it proves at least to oscar that this little girl does not recognize him Mm -hmm. or is not placing him at the scene and i think that i don't know if william hurt did this on purpose but we know that what the niece saw was william hurt and kathleen turner on the balcony and Kathleen Turner is about to service him and he's all sweaty and his hair is slicked back. He's like, he's all yeah. wet. So the description that the niece gave was like someone of the Hispanic descent with like grease back uh, hair. So when William Hurt kneels down to talk to the niece in the police precinct, she, he's just heading this situation and he's heading this on. He kneels down in front of the niece and he shakes his head forward and his hair falls forward. And I was like, did he do that on purpose as an actor? Just to kind of knowing that when the niece saw him before on the balcony, his hair was slicked back. And here now his hair is just kind of forward and loose and down. So it made him even look more different than what the niece had seen. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I thought if that was a choice, like an actor's choice, I just thought that was brilliant. But he kneels down and like kind of does this thing with his head. So his hair falls forward instead of how it was before. I don't know. I didn't catch that. It's because really subtle. Is, it's really so. Because he does turn to her when she catches them and looks right at her. And mm-hmm. granted, you know, they're on the balcony. It's night. It's dark out. She just kind of woke up. She's a little groggy. But it's like that mustache. I was like, oh, boy. But yeah, when he's in the office with Oscar and Osteen, and he tells him, like, oh, we're bringing that niece in. I mean, your heart just dropped. You're like, oh, you're done. Because you think, oh, he's going to somehow sneak out. And the fact he decides to face it head on, you're just like, oh, man, how's he going to get through this? And the fact that he does, you're just like, wow, there's such tension in there. Oh, yeah. And it's just great how it just plays out. Yeah, ballsy move. By, yeah, it's uh... like they have him back in the corner. He steps out. But they're going to back him in the corner again, too, later on in the film. So it was, yeah, that's a good scene. I had that down as uh, one of my favorites. Yeah, good, good, good stuff. Um, So what else do you have? Uh, I like the scene at the pier between Ned and Lowenstein, their moment. Uh, Oh, yes. It's like you have, 
You know what it reminded me of? Do you remember? Uh, there's a scene in the film Presumed Innocent, which is a wonderful movie. Mm-hmm. Harrison Ford, Bonnie Bedelia. And it seems though he's going to go down or he's being maybe framed for a murder. And there's a scene between, I have a wonderful actor and I can't think of his name now. He was on West Wing. In LA Law. He was the investigator in Presumed Innocent. And he comes to Harrison Ford with the the glass that has his fingerprints on it. And it's in a bag. He found it. Mm-hmm. Yes. But he had kept it because he knew it was going to sink him if that evidence was uh, brought into court. It just reminded me of that scene where you, where our protagonist, although flawed, has a buddy on the inside. And that's kind of the scene in Body Heat. There's a scene at the pier after. Now everything's pretty much going to hell. And it's clear that William Hurt's kind of fucked. And yes. Lowenstein is a lawyer and he's a good lawyer and he's smart and he's also ned's friend and he's like hey man this guy edmund not a good dude do i care that he's dead no but you know who does care about the law and also likes you a lot man is oscar and he's a detective and he's out there busting his butt trying to find the other woman here that's supposed to be part of the story anyway there's more to the story but it's a great little scene where you like that it's not black and white Here's a guy in Ned Racine, William Hurt's character, that is about to get into a lot of trouble, but he's still got friends that see the best in him, I guess, or see the good in him Mm -hmm. and are trying to help him. Anyway, I do uh, like that scene. You empathize a little bit with these characters. They're not... Look, we understand in film noir that these characters aren't necessarily likable. I've made that mistake a lot, too, even when I've done a, a little commentary here. My opinion on Nightmare Early, we're like, oh, these characters just aren't likable. Of course they're not. They're not supposed to be. But they should be interesting or intriguing or like, you know, or there's something human about them that I can relate to or attract. And there's just that moment reinforces that for me on the pier between Lowenstein and Ned. Yeah, because they're, I mean, they're work colleagues. They know each other. They've shared Mm -hmm. stories. They're friends, yeah. And yeah, it's a pretty good scene. Oh, that actor is John Spencer, by the way from presumed innocent thank you very much yeah wonderful actor love him yeah it is a good scene it is a good moment because well it shows too how much lowenstein knows ned because he knows he goes running and this is where he ends up and Mm -hmm. he's literally waiting from there to let him know point good point yeah hey all the signs are pointing to you and that's all i can tell you i'm just warning you all the signs are pointing to you i don't know how you're going to get out of it and this is the latest evidence we found that's even making it seem like it's you. So I don't know what the hell you're doing, but you're in deep shit. Great stuff, man. Uh, another moment uh, that I love. Well, I'm just going to say it, it's next to the very final scene. What are you uh, all together? Yeah, it's okay, the tell yeah. all. Yeah, it was like, if that's your scene, if you have that, please run with it. No, just because I know there's like that scene, then there's the yearbook scene, and then the final, final scene. So no, yeah, God, that's, could, those are all that those are all there's great moments in all those. So we get William Hurt laying it all out for us. Yeah, so this is the big spoiler scene, just so you know. It's a big this spoiler is scene. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so William Hurt has put it all together. He's in prison now for the murder, and because we, as the story has unfolded, are led to believe that Maddie Walker has died in an explosion at the boathouse behind her house. He's in jail, and he's been visited by Oscar, his buddy detective, and he's laying it out for Oscar. He's saying, this is what she did. This is how she got away with it. This is how she set me up. 
and he just lays it out. I, I'm not going to go through it detail by detail. Um, the bottom line is we understand that Kathleen Turner is Maddie Walker, this uh, femme fatale, this seductress, knew that Ned Racine was a lawyer. And she had this set up from the get before she even got there, before she even met Ned, she was going to kill her husband or have him killed with the assistance of him and set him up for it. And he fell for it hook, line and sinker every step of the way. And for Maddie's character, there was one hiccup and that hiccup happened to be her friend from high school. Uh, shows up. Mary, yeah, Marianne. Marianne. And Marianne happens to look very close to uh, Kathleen. Like the resemblance is uncanny. But they were best friends in high school. And Marianne shows up and she knows what Kathleen Turner is up to, Maddie, and uh, is about to put a monkey in the wrench. So that alters things only slightly, though. Maddie then uses actually Marianne to her advantage. And at the very end, when Ned comes for Maddie, when he knows that she set him up, he confronts her. Then this is when Ned wants Maddie to prove to him, basically, that I know you set me up. And she's like, no, I didn't. I still love you. And she goes to the boathouse. And there's a lot of details here that I'm not covering. Watch the movie. Regardless, the boathouse blows up and... Ned believes she's dead until he finally puts it together. And we understand that Maddie actually put Marianne's body in the boathouse that exploded because we think, oh, it's because she looked a lot like her. But still, what about dental records and things like that? Well, then there's even one more twist. And the fact of the matter is Maddie Walker was never Maddie Walker to begin with. She was actually Marianne and Marianne was Maddie Walker. Right. So genius. And we put that together or it's actually made concrete when William Hurt gets the yearbook in jail after this and goes to the high school, goes through the high school yearbook and we see the photos and we were like, oh my God, she switched the names. And so that's how she got away. Regardless, in the scene when he, it's this, the tell-alls, the big reveal when William Hurt is telling Oscar how the whole thing played out, Wonderful camera work. We've got a two shot. We've got two actors facing each other and the camera slowly moves in. It moves in. There's a couple of cuts back and forth. Close-ups moves in on William Hurt, brings us into the moment as he gives the big story and the big reveal. This is how it was done. It's like uh, Murder, She Wrote, the, the big scene at the end. <laughs> you know, right, this yeah. is how the crime was committed. And then it's just cool because you're watching it and you're so in, into William Hurt and he has the big line, don't you understand, Oscar? She did what was necessary, whatever was necessary. And that's the payoff. And then the camera kind of, it comes back out to the original shot we started at. And it's like, there it is. That's it. It's all laid out in front of you now. Now you know everything. It's a great camera move going in and then coming out. So it almost feels like it goes in a circle, bringing you in and then uh, taking you back out. But uh, just wanted to point that out. And then it's just a great, great, great uh, ending where we have, well, we think we, we thought it was Maddie Walker all along, but Kathleen Turner's character's name is actually Marianne. And she's, of course, now on a tropical island. She got away with it. She's got the money. 
everything worked out perfectly for her. And I don't know if she, she's sipping on a cocktail, but she's sitting on her, her chair on the beach, enjoying the sun and it looks beautiful. And then we understand that there's a gentleman next to, to her and he speaks with like a Portuguese accent or something exotic. And I love this because he simply says, it's hot. And Marianne responds, yes. And that's it. That's the end. Don't need to overwrite it. We don't need fancy line at the end. And I actually took it a step further and I'm going, oh, I wonder if she's already started her next long con. That's what I thought too. How did it begin with her and Ned in the very beginning? It's like she, he approaches her and says, don't talk about the heat. Right. And at the final, at the finale, at the very end, here's a guy saying it's hot. And she's like, yes. It's like, oh, here we go again. Yeah. She doesn't have enough. Got to get some more. Great stuff, man. Did you want to add stuff there? Well, you kind of brought this up with when uh, Ned explained to Oscar what really went down. And this just shows, too, with Maddie's planning is the monkey in the wrench is the real Maddie shows up. Right. And they think she's blackmailing mm-hmm. Kathleen Turner because she stole her identity. But he's like, okay, let me turn a disadvantage into advantage. Kills the real Maddie, throws her in the boathouse, rigs up a bomb. So if Ned goes in there, they're going to find Ned and Maddie. Yep. Both dead, case closed. Conveniently, yeah. But the fact that Ned knows because he's been told by Teddy that Maddie has approached him to make the bomb, he knows to look out for it. And now he knows that that place is rigged to blow. And he's like, okay, show your loyalty to me. You go in the boathouse and get the key piece of evidence that I need, which is her husband's glasses, because that's one of the things they find when they find the body. They don't find Edmund's glasses, and he always has them on, so they know he was brought there. So, but Maddie knows she can walk in the boathouse and it shows in her yearbook. She was on the swim team. So she's an excellent swimmer. Mm-hmm. She just jumps in, swims away, boat blows up. There's still a woman's body in there. And now it's going to look like Ned murdered Maddie. So he's going to go to jail now for two murders instead of just the one. And that's what just makes it so great. He, he lost either way. The, the fact that he showed up, to, as soon as he steps foot on that property, he loses. Because Maddie's got him right where he wants him at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And it just makes you think like how long, how far does this con go back? Does it go back to the point where she meets her husband and marries him and knows I'm going to somehow bump this guy off and and get his money or she's okay marrying him and living off his money and then realizes I, I can't spend the rest of my life with this guy. Right. Let me figure out a way to get his money. And then puts this plot together to search and research and get Ned. Because you find out in the movie, too, that a lawyer had spoken to Maddie, the Kathleen Turner version, and recommended Ned to her to do some work. And that was a year ago. Yep. So she's putting this all in motion that long. And it's just like, holy shit, that's a lot of planning to pull this off. But it all works out for her. Typical film noir thriller. I think it's really smartly done. It's not easy on the first watch to digest all of that, but there's some stuff I didn't even realize that you just pointed out. Even the fact that he's not just going down for the husband's murder, 
but he's went down for her murder. The cops think that she died in the boathouse accident because the actual real Maddie Walker was her body was in there, but it's great. Yeah. And I agree. Your mind goes to so many different places because you want to go back and go, when did she instigate this whole plant? Like, when was it instigate? When did she uh, start the whole thing? Yeah. It's just, uh, it's fun to think about. Yeah. It's like, how does she plan the initial meeting? Because it's so detailed oriented. Right. You know? Because I mean, she knows he's a womanizer. So she knows like, I'm pretty hot. So I got to put myself in a position where he's going to see me and I know he's going to hit on me right away. That's step one right there. Everything else I planned is eventually going to fall in place. And she's got to have this toward affair with him. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, she's doing this to get this guy's money. It's just crazy what she's doing to get this money. There's a lot of subtleties. I I was thinking about this too, you know. And the fact she's not happy with half of it. She could have just took half and called it a day. No, Maddie slash Marianne is not a good person. She's got a very specific goal and she will do anything to get and uh, to attain that goal. I mean, there's not a lot of good people in this, but still, you don't get in her way. She is femme fatale with capital Fs. That's that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There was one more thing I was going to say. And I now, oh, from a filmmaker's perspective, because we talked about the writing and how smart it is, but this Just like Maddie planned this whole thing out in the long time, you have to plan this out as a writer. And I'm sure there's a lot of working backwards, uh, reverse engineering of some sort. Also from a director's point of view, how to direct these actors and the performances, because they are quite wonderful in this movie. Everyone plays their part perfectly, in my opinion. Whereas Kathleen Turner, she knows exactly what she's doing the entire time. And she plays him like a fiddle, you know, and he, William Hurt, has to act as if he's just putting the pieces together as they come. To watch it for the very first time and not know what's going to happen and then go back to watch the her performance in particular and how he's reacting and playing off of her and being manipulated is even more fun. I think it's a testament to this film too is you could just watch it the one time. You're going to get enough out of it. You're going to Mm -hmm. enjoy it. But the fact that you can go back and you're going to pick up more things along the way, is just what makes it so exciting. Because even Yeah, you can go back knowing everything, knowing how it ends and still be totally intrigued. Yeah, and just like, oh, yeah, that line now makes more sense. Or, Mm -hmm. okay, there's a reason why she did that. Or just like you mentioned with the cigarettes, too. It's like, oh, all all these little things now that you see in, in play. Now I'm really getting into her mindset of what she's doing to this guy and how he's getting played. And just like, you're so stupid. How do you not see this? It's blinded by lust. But like you said, even too earlier is that even when he does see it, there's nothing he can do about it. Yeah. That's part of the brilliance. All right. So uh, let's move on to music. The music from Bobby Heat score by the great John Barry. So good. So good. An all timer. He's one of the best in the biz. Uh, Oscar winner, known for several James Bond film scores, also known for some of the most famous and iconic uh, scores, uh, Somewhere in Time, Out of Africa. One of my personal favorites happens to be Dances with Wolves. I've listened to that soundtrack, Bill Vance, oh, so yes. many times. It's one of my favorites. So many times. Known for his uh, sweeping romantic strings. He likes the strings in his scores. 
you can always like I, you can always envision traveling over like beautiful landscapes and seeing like there's like dance with the wolves and you see like the buffalo and the in the west and the the mountainous landscapes but uh yeah john barry does the score and nails it again with that sexy sultry just that there's also it's kind of there's this falling down like uh the chords that he uses in the, in the music where it's, it's beautiful. It's bittersweet. It's sexy, but it's sultry. It's smoky, the music, but it also is foreboding and has this touch of being ominous. And you just, it, it adds, as I always say, a good score isn't just uh, supporting the movie, but it is a character unto itself. And I think uh, the music is great in body heat. Uh, yeah. Just uh, that's all I'll say about John Barry. Look him up, listen to him. He's one of the greats. You definitely hear a little bit of the James Bond during the closing credit music, right mm. when it starts. I, I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely hear a touch of Bond. Um, but yeah, John Barry basically did most of the scores up until Living Daylights. Definitely has the steamy, film noir heavy sax music. Um, it's it's yeah. great stuff. Yeah, I, I really was paying attention more on on this watch. It sets the tone, right? Especially from right from the start when the credits start, you know? Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, okay. I know what this movie is. I got you. Good stuff by him. All right. So moving on to Swiss cheese and the complaint department. And why do we call it Swiss cheese? Because although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. Yeah. So if it doesn't necessarily a plot hole, it's just filed with the complaint department. So what do you have for Swiss cheese or complaints? You know, not a lot, man. You know, there was. uh, I didn't have much either. I was going to say, if there were any holes in this movie, they were definitely filled. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Especially uh, Maddie's. Hello. Hello. Uh, so I honestly don't have much for this. You know, it, what I, I wrote down a few things throughout, and then it all made sense at the end. I was like, oh, well, that takes care of that hole or that complaint. Because I would get confused. I'm like, how did he get here? How did that? Oh, right. That was smart. Wow, this movie is really good. So... Here's, it's just funny. It's not really even a complaint, but running and smoking. And wearing an FSU shirt. Come on, man. <laughs> that was my big complaint there. Of course. Ned Racine, he likes to jog. And then right as he's not even finished, basically, he's pulling out his pack of smokes. Yeah. Just open up the lungs to bring in the extra nicotine, I guess. Uh, what are your complaints, man? I'm curious. All right. They're in Florida. Mm-hmm. It's hot and humid. Yeah. Why are you going outside during the day? Stay, stay inside <laughs> the AC, man. Do they not have so any ever, AC there? It seems like no nobody has know, AC like, in that place. When was air conditioning invented? I know. Was it invented like 1985? Yeah. Right. I remember, you know, we both went to school there. I lived there for a couple of years afterwards. I remember the air conditioning of my truck broke once. When I would left my, left my house, I would have a driving shirt and then a shirt that I would wear when I got to where I needed to be. That's how hot it was there. So oh, there's yeah. no way I'm ever going outside when it's hot out. It's like I would park my car, literally change my shirt, and then go where I needed to go. That's amazing. That totally makes sense. I would always tell people at the University of Miami, it was so hot and muggy that and humid that if you when you left your dorm, it didn't matter how much AC there was in the dorm or the classroom you were about to arrive at, you'd be sweating by the time you got to class. Oh, yeah. I know the first two or three weeks I was there at the school i was showering at least three times a day sure and it's that nasty two thing if, if you didn't for any reason have the ac on it's like when 
It's the worst when you're hot and sweaty and you get take a shower and then you get out of the shower and you're already sweating. Yes. Again, it's nasty. Oh, yeah. That's why my dorm room was always like 40 degrees. Yeah. My roommate hated it. He's like, <laughs> he's like what are we in a cave? I'm like, I don't care. Right. It's hot out. I mean, it does get nice, but yeah. Oh, man. August. I, I enjoyed the nights and then the, you get that breeze sometimes mm-hmm. at night that hot breeze could be soothing in a way but it was, it was fucking hot god I, I would remember working for the dolphins and we'd be doing like a camp thing at a school and getting up and it'd still be dark out and the weather guy would be like currently 76 degrees with 80 some percent humidity and you're like my god the sun's not even out yet and yeah. it's just freaking hot it's stifling when it's hot like that you're indoors ac on all the time you're not stepping outside for anything i'm sorry too hot and it just everyone has fans everyone's got all their windows open i'm like ac come on yeah something and it didn't help when you were trying to get the ladies either when you're just sweating like oh yeah all the time it's not that that isn't sexy it wasn't like we were william hertz walking around campus all the time no. with the cool mustache here's a slight complaint i guess what is ned thinking to be screwing the widow immediately after her husband dies. It's just a bad look and bad choice all around. I thought that was one thing where it was like, because they were like, oh, well, might as well. They already know about us or whatever, but it didn't make sense to me. I was like, okay, what was his play trying to flaunt it? Because he was so smart about everything else. It didn't feel in line with his character so much for him to be so reckless in that manner. Mm -hmm. That was a complaint I had. After he had that conversation with her in the car, after the whole thing with the will. The lawyer, yeah. I think I just would have cut bait and ran. That's exactly what I thought, too. I was like, why wouldn't you be like, now we cannot be seen together. This is it. This is the last time. We are going We're going to be far away from each other. Mm-hmm. I am going in the opposite direction. Yeah. Enjoy your money. We're supposed to understand, though, too. It's just like he's in too deep with her. Yeah, I know. He's obsessed. There's an obsession at play. Oh, yeah. I know. He's thinking with the wrong head at that point mm, you got it did you have any other complaints so this is my my only other complaint so he rents a car so he goes down to the hotel so you know he's trying to build his alibi right he goes to miami right leaves his car at the hotel so it doesn't seem like he ever left and then goes rents did he rent the car in his name why did he do that if he knows like sleazy people why don't they give him a, a fake id that's a that's a good question. Did they? You see Oscar go to the oh, rental yeah, car place. Oh yeah, you do see. Yeah, he goes to the rental car place, right? And then I was wondering if he had rented it in his name. I don't know if that's ever. Does that get brought up, or do we just assume? Well, we only know he rents the hotel in his name because we see that come up, and then well, Oscar he did that for his, for to right. provide his for own his alibi. alibi. Yeah, right. He takes his car down to Miami. And we see the valet take his car. He actually like specifically looks at the valet and then rents a room at the hotel. Right. But there's no other way that Oscar would have known to go to that rental car unless he had to have Correct. His okay. Car. Right, 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 right. You're right. So if you know Not someone, a good, that, yeah, that's if a bad, you know someone that can idea. set buildings on the fire, same, that's a good call. I thought the same thing too. You yeah. should be able to know someone that can get you a fake ID to get you a, a car. Yeah, you can't leave any trace. That was one initial thought I had that I, I skipped over is that it's really amazing now watching, and especially listening to true crime dramas and podcasts, um, that this is 1981 and science and technology isn't what it is today. Oh, yeah. 
that pesky DNA and you know, all the forensics, uh, cell right, phone he, tracing, all that stuff, phones, you know, things like that. The, you know, you could get away with a lot more then. But even that, like I thought about that, it's like got to use a different name to rent the car. You can't. Yeah, because he couldn't have killed them the same way because there would have been blood oh my all God. over the yeah. His fingerprints, blood. Yeah, they they would have scoured. The I place. thought that I was like, oh, good thing you didn't do that now. They'd find that blood all over the place. But back then, you could probably get away with it. Yep. So I was I was okay with that, but I was like, man, if you're gonna rent a car, run on a different name. That's a good call, and that was in the back of my mind too. And then here's the thing: speaking of the crime itself, so Maddie's story that she told the cops was that Edmund, her husband had to get up and go to a meeting at the, in the middle of the night at 2.30 a.m. That seemed a little flimsy. Like that was the one flimsy aspect of our whole plan was that's what she's telling. Because doesn't that make her seem a little suspect? Because mm-hmm. it's not a good excuse for him. Now, obviously, she couldn't say he got up in the middle of the night because he heard something in the house because that might lead them to think, Oh, there was an intruder in the house. And that was that he was actually killed by someone. And then, you know what I mean? I don't, she could have said anything besides it just was so vague. And yeah. Oscar literally says that either Oscar alone seems say that. Yeah. She told the cops that he got up randomly in the middle of the night to go to a meeting. And I'm like, that's what, that was the story she came up with. That didn't make sense to me. Yeah. That should have been your first warning sign like that. Like, why the hell would you say that? Yeah. You, you think they would have worked on something? Because it literally sounds like she just made up an excuse on the spot. Yeah, I probably would have worked that out with her first to say the reason why he got up and left. Yeah, there's something. When I hear that, it's like, what? Yeah, let's see, you know, an office and like, oh, the alarm went off in the office and he went to go check it out. Yeah. Somehow set something. The alarm, but not very many people are getting up 2.30 in the morning to go to meetings that I know of. I don't know. Yeah, definitely not me. All right, I'm out. I'm out of complaints and cheese. Yeah, right. that's it, man. We can keep it moving. All right, so let's move on to hey, it's that actor. All right. So in this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. Okay, so there's not a lot of people in this movie, <laughs> and we've kind of talked about most of them. And the reason why I went with this person because we've uh, talked about him before. J.A. Preston. That's plays, right. Yep, there you go. Detective Oscar Grace, who played Con McCleary and Remo Williams. The Adventure Mac. Begins. Yeah, back in The Adventure Begins, and unfortunately, that's where it ended. He's going to be <laughs> 90 years old this year. All uh, right. Uh, he has not had a credit on IMDb since uh, 2006. He did do a ton of work in television. Yeah, he did. Um, such TV shows as All in the Family, Different Strokes, Hill Street Blues, Dallas and Martin. But I couldn't believe this. The one credit, Jason, I'm embarrassed to say I never put him together with, that he was Judge Julius Alexander in A Few Good Men. How awesome is that? Oh, and yeah, for, for our listeners, I chose J.A. Preston as my, hey, it's that actor as well. When I heard his voice right away, I was like, oh, hey, Rima Williams. Yes. Mac. But yes, Judge Julius Alexander Randolph from A Few Good Men. I saw that too. And I was like, oh my God, of course it's him. It's great. And he's great. Never put that together. Yeah. Oh, well. But yeah. So it's our, our second movie with 
J.A. Preston. But yeah, we didn't have much to choose from. I mean, technically, we could have said Kathleen Turner because it's her first movie. You know, we already talked about Mickey Rourke. We already talked about Ted Danson. So there wasn't much left to choose from. I mean, there's yeah, literally like eight main people in this movie. And we'd like to choose, some, you know, a, an actor that is in a very supporting role that you recognize, that you know has been done a lot of work, has been in a lot of other movies. But that just wasn't quite the case here. Uh, I didn't recognize any of the actors in the much smaller roles. So this, I think, was the guy. And, you know, to point out all the television work he did. I mean, he did so many, like one episode for so many shows. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then, I mean, you go through all of them and you mentioned a few. He had a couple of runs on a couple of different shows. But then I was like, of all the work he did in the 80s, he still wasn't on Miami Vice. How did that happen? I know. What the He'd hell? He'd been perfect on that. Oh, heck yeah, man. Talk to this agent. Because a lot of this, it was not, it's, hey, it's that actor. It's, hey, it's Ted Danson. Hey, it's Mickey Rourke. Yeah. Hey, those are the only actors in the movie. Okay. Yep. Hey, that's it. All right. So, <laughs> so let's move on to facts and trivia. What are some facts and trivia we have about body heat? Well, if we want to talk about the very opening of the movie, that's the Lad Company logo. Yes. Ellen Ladd Jr., yeah, it's like, oh my God, I haven't seen this logo in forever. No kidding. You know who composed and conducted the music for the Lad Company logo? I actually do not. None other than John Williams, JW himself. Oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, man. So we get John Williams and John Barry. Yes. Nice. Heat. You know, we talked about the heat. I talked about the heat. And I don't know if this is true or not. Because there's some dispute. This movie was shot supposedly in freezing cold temperatures. This is this is from IMDb. The production had to simulate the heat wave of the film story, the actors having to act hot in cold conditions. They had to suck ice cubes before speaking to eliminate foggy breath and had water sprayed on their skin and shirts to simulate the body sweat. But then Kim Zimmer, I believe she played Marianne, her memoir disputes this. She remembers shooting in the blazing heat. So I don't know. Somebody help us out. Yeah. There's any truth to that at all? Doesn't very. I don't buy it. That I don't actually know. And I don't quite buy it. I don't know. Yeah. They would have to shoot this. And even in January, it's still like. It's, it's hot all the time. Yeah. I mean, I was there last December and it was in the 80s. Yeah. I was actually there. God, I was there recently. I was going to say you were there recently too, weren't you? I was. I was in Miami. That was last year. Anyway, yeah, it was hot. Oh, this I found interesting. Um, so when uh, Richard Crenna first read the script of Body Heat, he thought it was trash. Quote, quote, <laughs> trash, a dirty picture. But he took a meeting with Kasson anyway out of courtesy that someone would want him in their movie. And then he said at the meeting, Crenna said after 15 seconds, he changed his mind because Kasson's presentation of what the nature of the film was going to be Krenna ended up calling it one of the sexiest films ever shot. He was thrilled to be in that film. That's awesome. Yeah, we haven't really talked. We haven't talked about Richard Krenna. No. Also, again, it wouldn't. Again, hey, it's that actor. Doesn't know. He's too too big of a name. Yeah, he's technically one of the, the main people we have. We haven't really talked about. But yeah, he plays yeah. Maddie's husband in it. Yeah. See, there's another one. Hey, I knew him from First Blood. Everything was just so surprising in this. Yeah, there was some playing against type for sure. And he's great. Yeah, so um, 
Kathleen Turner got a uh, Golden Globe nominee for this film for New Star of the Year and Motion Picture. I didn't even know that was a category. I wonder when they stopped doing that one. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. Who the hell did she lose to, though? That's crazy. I should have looked that up. No, I vaguely remember that category now, though, that you say it. I think they had it for a little while. Yeah. But yeah, not anymore. I'm not a big Golden Globe watcher, so. Well, we may not have the Golden Globe. That's true. That might be over, too. much longer. Yeah. This is interesting. If it's true, Christopher Reeve was offered the lead. Yeah, I saw that in a couple spots. But uh, turned it down after saying, I didn't think I would be convincing as a CD lawyer. That would have been very much playing against type. Oh, yeah. It's almost like, no, you're stupid. Come on. You're Superman. Uh, I think he could have barely pull off being Lowenstein, you know, Christopher Reeve. Forget about it. Yeah, I think if if we didn't know him as Superman, I think he could have done it. But that's the problem. He was Superman. Uh, He's still Superman. He's just got the squarest jaw in all of history. Oh, well. This was interesting. Lawrence Kasdan didn't know this for many years. Yeah, this was interesting. I like this one. Go ahead. Sorry. George Lucas acted as a guarantor to the Lad Company studio head, Alan Ladd Jr., offering his fee as a guarantee if uh, Kasdan happened to go over budget thereby covering any overages, meaning Lawrence Kasdan, as many of you may already know, worked on writing The Empire Strikes Back and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and had a relationship, obviously, with George Lucas. And unbeknownst to Kasdan, when Kasdan is now making his directorial debut on Body Heat, not knowing if he'd ever direct another movie ever again and concerned about going over budget, well, he didn't have to worry. Because, like I said, unbeknownst to him, George Lucas was backing him and had offered uh, the Lad Company to cover Kazan if he went over budget. Because at this point, Lucas has some money. Big time money. But yeah, I thought that was a pretty cool story. And the fact that Kazan didn't even know about that for yeah. a whole bunch of years. But yeah, he tells, he tells that story on the, um, the DVD. Oh, really? That's cool. Um, so this was the first of four movies that William Hurt and uh, writer-director Lawrence Kasdan made together um, outside of Body Heat. Um, they also worked together on The Big Chill in 1983, Accidental Tourist in 1988, and I Love You to Death in 1990. Um, Hurt's been gone to say that um, his uh, professional relationship with Kasdan has been one of the most rewarding of his career. So they definitely made a good partnership together. Yeah, I I would say so. Here's a fun one. I like this here. Director and writer, Lawrence Kasdan, wanted a woman editor, who was Carol Littleton, so as to have a female perspective on the erotic uh, sensuality that the movie contained. So yeah, he hired Carol Littleton, who has edited many of Kasdan's films ever since. I think that's cool. I think that's smart, you know? Oh, yeah. Good move, Kasdan. Oh, there's the last one that I love. Okay. So, you know, we always see ed- edited for television. Yes. Right. And you think, well, this will relate to or be regarding the sexuality in this movie. But no, at least one commercial television print of this movie, for some reason, completely eliminates the key sequence where Richard Crenna's character is killed. So what the? Can you imagine watching it and that whole scene is removed, the murder of the husband. Right. So it just goes to 
him you're just like being in oh, the breakers like, getting I, burned. You, if you see his body wrapped up in the plastic, yeah, then you're like, oh, okay, I guess he killed him. Do we? Yeah, need to see that. Maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, do you have anything else? No, that was it. All right. All right, so let's move on to box office. So Body Heat was released on August 28th, 1981 in limited release on an estimated budget of $9 million. It grossed $24 million domestically. It went into wide release on September 18th into a whopping 764 theaters where it placed second at the box office behind Continental Divide, which was also written by Lawrence Kasdan. That movie starred John Belushi and Blair Brown. Body Heat would stay in the top 10 for an additional nine weeks. That's got to be kind of cool. The number one, number two movie that you wrote yeah. in the box office. Yeah, that's that's a nice little resume builder for you. So moving on to reviews. When growing up in the 80s, we would watch at the movies with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert to hear their reviews and watch clips from upcoming movies. Their review of Body Heat was unanimous. Two big thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Gene found the movie stylish, menacing, sensual, and constantly entertaining. He called it a solid adult movie going experience, crisply written and well acted. Roger loved the complexity of the plot. It was a lot of fun and intellectually challenging. Roger placed Body Heat on his list of the 10 best of 1981. Awesome. All right, so let's move on to additional thoughts and questions. What are some additional thoughts and questions we have about Body Heat? First off, William Hurt, wonderful actor. It's taken me some time, I'm going to admit, to warm up to William Hurt. I was not a fan of his for a long time. I felt that he exuded a type of arrogance and had a lack of charisma. I'm just being honest. Okay. Uh, I, I did not view him as a quote unquote movie star. And those, I liked movie stars when I was a kid. I liked my Schwarzeneggers and Stallones and Harrison Fords and Bruce Willis's, et cetera. And William Hurt was just a good actor and wasn't interesting to me because I was looking for something else at that time. As an adult, I have a new appreciation for William Hurt, especially watching this now again. I'm ashamed to say I've never seen Kiss of the Spider Woman, his Academy Award winning performance. I need to watch that movie. I appreciate him now more than ever. Broadcast news is unassailable. That's a wonderful movie. And he plays that to a T, his role in that film. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to mention that I've grown. It's like a fine wine. I was just, the grapes were sour for me in the beginning, but yeah, he's, he's grown on me. So one of my faves Larry, Larry Kasdan, Lawrence Kasdan, man. I mean, I'm just going to repeat it in case the listeners missed it the first 10 times. This is his 1980s. Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. This is, you know, writing Raiders of the Lost Ark, Body Heat, Continental Divide, The Return of the Jedi, which he did the screenplay, or The Big Chill, Silverado, The Accidental Tourist. That's pretty good 1980s. Yes. I love Silverado. Can't wait to do that. I haven't seen it in a long time. Talk about a killer cast. Yep. There was a connection. I saw something in the research to Jeff Goldblum. Oh, Jeff Goldblum, I think, was going to be Lowenstein. That was a possible oh, cast yeah. uh, yep. in Body Heat. And then, of course, he ends up being in Silverado. Anyway, 
And Big Chill, yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of connections with the actors and whatnot, but Silverado's got a murderer's row of actors. I mean, it's a great, great cast. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just I, I'm a big Lawrence Kasdan fan. I, there, I don't know how you would describe him as a writer, Bill, but I think he's just got a real talent for structure, of course, but character development, ensemble casts, yes, and not overtly heavy with exposition. It's I just I like how he handles the characters and relationships. Uh, yeah, he's just got a, a nice touch. I think his movies have a, a, have a certain flow and a pace to them in the writing that is where you just don't, it's almost unnoticeable in a, in a good way. Mm-hmm. It just has such a smooth, it, there's a smoothness to it, a smooth flow where you're just like, you just, you just get into it. You just, you're eased into it and then it becomes so comfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just, I'm in it. Interweave storylines and everything. Yeah. 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 He's pretty good. There's a just, yeah, a natural, as I get, yeah, the characters. Um, don't know if you had any other initial thoughts. I had written a little bit about just kind of why I enjoyed this film and kind of what works, I think, in Body Heat so much is there's a seductiveness. There's an allure because these characters are flawed, but you are rooting for them in a certain way or there's a relatableness to these characters they're, you know, they're flawed, but they're still very human. And you connect to them on that level. And obviously body heat, the element of, of sex is huge in that movie. Uh, so yeah, that's all That's all I have with initial thoughts. Uh, I am a fan of the film noir, neo-noir erotic thriller. And we can, did you have some additional thoughts or questions? I've, I've got some basic or uh, not basic, but uh, some questions. I got some questions too. All right, go for it, man. Jason, do we have a thing for boathouses this month in movies? Oh, yeah, right? Yeah, April Fool's Day. Sure. Now this. I don't know what we have to do next week. Our choices are either Meatballs 3 or The Black Cat. I, I don't know if I want to do either of those, but uh, I think we've done enough of movies that have scenes at boathouses. That's great. I thought you were going to say, do we have a thing for movies with butt cheeks? Well, the, well that's so I true, like, too. I was like, well, we, that's unavoidable, man. We're doing 80s movies. Yeah, we definitely see some uh, Kathleen Turner butt cheeks in this. Um, okay, so Jason, here we go. Uh, I want your honest answer on this. Okay. So if you were having a torrid affair with Elizabeth Shue, and she <laughs> wanted you to kill her husband on a scale from one to ten, uh huh, how much are you considering it? I mean, I would just do it. There would be no consideration. All right, so it's a ten. That's what I figured. Yeah. I was trying to give you a little bit of an out. No, that's an awesome question, my friend. That is hilarious. You know, maybe one of the other reasons why I got more invested in this noir as some others is that is the emotional mis- manipulation. If there's any listeners out there that have been on the receiving end of that, it's tough. Obsession is tough. Mm-hmm. When you get involved in a relationship and you get in deep, you do some things you never thought you would do. Not to quote Will Smith, but I'm going to quote Will Smith. Love makes you do crazy things. Right. And case in point here in Body Heat. But you don't know unless you've been there. I would not be driven as far as uh, to murder someone I hope to think. But uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Shue. Oof. I don't know how much of that I can keep in now just because. Right. <laughs> I don't want to implicate myself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Uh, hey, man, do you have a, a favorite noir film, my friend? I, I would list some options, but I really don't. Is there anything off the top of your head? You'd listen some at the very top of our podcast, I believe. But Yeah, it might be a reason to see bias saying Body Heat, of course. What's the Diane Lane one, Unfaithful? Is right. that a, kind of, that's a little bit of an erotic. Well, it's definitely yeah, erotic. I never saw little, that one. Okay. It's good. Mm-hmm. I thought it was good. There's a lot out there. There's a lot to choose from. If you're trying to get into film noir, what I know of film noir, you definitely have to watch Double Indemnity. That's the that's the, what I was the just gold standard. Yeah, yeah. So we could instead of trying to choose a favorite, we could make some suggestions here. Go back to Double Indemnity. It's Fred McMurray and uh, Barbara Stanwyck. So if you haven't, this is a staple in film schools uh, regarding the film noir genre. Double Indemnity from 1944. 1944, starring Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck. I know, that's a crazy one, too, because growing up, Disney films, Fred McMurray, you know, the the first absent-minded professor and all Mm. those silly Disney movies, and then to see him do this, it's the same thing, of watching William Hurt and Kathleen Turner after you've seen them other films and then do this, you're just like, whoa, okay. And Body Heat clearly borrows a lot from Double Indemnity. Oh, yeah. I don't know if we've made that clear. I mean, we're not just bringing up Double Indemnity because it's one of the classic film noir but films, but uh, Body Heat is close in, in some of the storytelling elements mm-hmm. to that film. So, And then, of course, I mean, Blade Runner is still one of my favorite of all time, uh, yes. for no doubt. Did you want to say anything else? Uh, favorite William Hurt movie. Oh, yeah. It's a toss-up for me between this and Broadcast News. This and uh, for me in the big chill. Ooh, you know, damn it, man. Big chill is so good. Yeah. We got some stuff to look forward to on this podcast, man. Yeah. That's probably the one I've, I've probably seen the big chill the most. And mm-hmm. I've probably seen body heat the second most of his. I just have a whole new appreciation for this film. I may have to vote. I mean, it's recency bias, but body heat's really good. This is a this is such a good movie. It still holds up really well. Oh man, it does. It's a really smart movie. Outside of the smoking, yeah. I don't know, even like the dress, because even the way they're dressed is kind of. It's not very it's, like it's oh that's slightly, so eighties. Yeah, it didn't feel the style super is dated. definitely dated, but it's not not super dated. It's not overly obvious, right? Uh, it's not like you got a lot of big hair and poofy skirts and bedazzled jean jackets you know yeah because mostly you know the guys are wearing sweaty button downs and slacks and yeah they're adults kind of wearing adult clothing yeah yeah Yeah, in the cars but outside of that no it's like wow you you could have put that yeah you wouldn't have to change how about that corvette stingray that he's driving man oh yeah we ride but yeah i think that's all i got for additional thoughts okay you got anything no that's it man all right, so um, gee, recommendations. We recommend this film. And in case our audience is not sure, yes, <laughs> go check this movie out. I simply wrote one thousand percent recommend. There you go. I don't think there's anything else we have to say. I think, nope. I think at this point everybody knows. All right, so um, I think that uh, about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, it'll be our 50th movie episode. What? Yep. And we are going big with this episode. It's one of the greatest 
cult classics of the 1980s. Flash Gordon, starring Sam Jones, Melody Anderson, and Max Boncito. Check it out with us. Um, As always, please subscribe, give us a review, and rate us. You can email us at all80smoviespodcasts at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook, Meta, at All80smoviespodcast, or tweet us at podcastall80s. Until then, have a totally great week, everyone. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world.